We're speaking from Job chapter 34, verse number 31, message 6 from Job. And I will tie this in to our missionary theme. Our message is titled, The Making of a Man. The little phrase in verse 31, right at the end of the verse, is the one we're going to ride on this morning. I will not offend anymore. There is something to be said about self-esteem, about self-worth. If you have been attending the James Dobson film series, you will remember that last Wednesday night he mentioned that the number one problem in depression is low self-esteem. That may have been surprising to some of you, but nonetheless, that is the conclusion. The number one problem in depression, low self-esteem. The psalmist said something about self-esteem in Psalm number 8. When he recorded these words, Thou hast made man a little lower than the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor, and put him over the works of thine hands. Thou hast given him dominion, is the way the Bible says it. And yet, many of you who sit in this service today mope around and act as though you were the lowest of the low, you had nothing at all going for you, when in reality that is the farthest thing from the truth. When Psalm 8 sinks in, you can accomplish almost anything you set out to do. Thou hast made man a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor, and put him over the works of thine hands, and hast given him dominion. That is an exalted place. I read about a boy who was 16 years of age who went in to talk to his father one day when summer had begun, and said to his father, in essence, Dad, I'm going to get a job this summer. And that shocked his father because he had been used to the boy sponging off of him in the past. His dad said, now, son, you remember that the job market is not too good. The boy was not daunted by what his dad told him. He had a deep desire for a job. So his dad said, how are you going to find one? Well, he said, first I'm going to look in the paper. And he took the paper and found the job section and read down the columns. And there was a little line that caught his eye, wanted young boy. The job was described and it fit him perfectly. The newspaper ad said that they were to report at 8 o'clock in the morning for interview. So he was there at 7.45, only to find 20 other boys lined up at the door. All of them were waiting to see the secretary of the man doing the hiring. 
How was he ever to get over the heads of 20 good boys and sell himself to the boss? He stood there thinking, and it's good to do that. He pulled a piece of paper from his pocket, and as he stood there in line, wrote a note on the piece of paper. He walked finally to the secretary's desk and handed it to her. He fixed his eyes on her and said respectfully, Miss, it is very important that you get that note to your boss immediately. She looked up, rather startled, and recognized that this was no ordinary boy because he looked her right in the eye when he spoke and did not take his eyes off of her when she had such an amazed look on her face. So she read the note, and a smile broke out on her face, and she got up from her desk and walked into the boss's office, and the boy went back in line. She laid the note on the desk. The boss picked up the note and read it and laughed right out loud because that note said, Dear Sir, I am the 21st kid in line. Don't do anything until you see me. What a spirit! You know who got the job, don't you? We complain about our problems and forget our blessings. Remember this, the only people that have no problems are those in the cemetery. Problems constitute a sign of life. The more problems you have, the more alive you are. Did you know that? If you have none at all, no problems, may I recommend something to you today? As soon as Sunday school is over, Go on home, kneel by your bed, and say to the Lord, Look, Lord, what's the matter? Don't you trust me anymore? Give me some problems. Because that's the making of a man. Now, what I want to convey to you today out of this little statement in Job, I will not offend anymore, is in three parts. If you are outlining the message on the back of your bulletin, as I encourage you to do, there are three major points. Number one, the beginning is what we call conversion in the making of a man. Everyone that hears my voice needs to be converted. Another term we have begun to use more in this present hour is the term, be born again. Jesus said in Matthew 4:19, follow me and I will make you to become. That's the making of a man. Follow me, and I will make you. And the way of the Lord has not changed. 
Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And some of you don't love yourself, therefore you cannot love your neighbor. You don't love yourself, therefore you cannot love the message of missions, which is the message that helps us reach our neighbor wherever he is. Now, if I may give you my firm opinion about how we have such low esteem of ourselves and how we lack love for ourselves, it would be this. The drug problem is because we don't love ourselves. Alcohol problems link to the same discovery, immorality. All of these things lead to destruction. Do you know something? That if we really loved ourselves as God expects us to love ourselves, we wouldn't kill ourselves with drugs and alcohol and immorality and all the rest. It would not happen. You see, I love myself. Therefore, I'm not going to let into this body that which will contaminate me and destroy me. I've talked about it before in this series of messages. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's not to be defiled. You cannot love the world until you love yourself, and you can't love yourself until you're converted to Jesus Christ. That's the making of a man. You can't destroy the temple if you love the temple. You must be born again. You need to be born again. And it comes about when you humbly say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me this day a child of God. And it will happen, but you have to do it by your own choice your own volition. You do not have that experience by joining a church, by joining an organization. You receive Christ by personal invitation into your life. Johnny Lee is a leader in world literature crusade. Dick Eastman, who many of you know, also is connected with world literature crusade. Johnny Lee met this Savior that I'm talking about years ago, and his life was marvelously changed. Recently, in a Muslim country, Johnny Lee had to go to rescue a boy and a girl, ages 12 and 14, who were children of the director for this Muslim nation of World Literature Crusade. The director had been killed. The children had been severely beaten up. Johnny could not stay home. You see, Johnny had met this Christ. He had come into his life, and as he loved himself, he now loved the world. And so he went. The mo mother did not have money to care for the two children, which compounded the problem in that Muslim country. After making arrangements to move the family, Johnny was attacked when coming out of a restaurant. His attackers had boulders about this size, and they threw them at him as he came out of the restaurant intending to kill him. Fortunately, the children of the Lord have angels that guard them. The Bible teaches us that that the angels of the Lord encamp round about those that fear God. 
So when those boulders were coming at Johnny's head where they were aimed, the angels diverted them so they only hit his ribs and cracked a couple of those ribs, but he escaped from their midst and the family was spared as he got them into another country and Johnny came home in the pain of his injuries. The making of a man begins when he meets Christ. He feels the love of Christ and he acts upon that love toward his fellow man. And that's what makes the Johnny Lee so unique in our time. When they, without fear, risking their own lives, go to minister to those who are not quite as fortunate as they. And that's where all of us must begin. Job 34, 31, I will not offend anymore. Verse 32, if I have done iniquity, I will do no more. I'm going to face up to my sins. I'm going to face up to the need of my life. I'm going to become converted. I will not offend anymore. I will begin serving man because I now esteem myself because Jesus Christ lives within me. The making of a man begins with that confrontation. Then, secondly, it proceeds through what we call sanctification. Now, don't turn me off because of that big theological word, sanctification. It simply means to separate from sin and to separate unto God. From sin unto God. Leviticus 27 records these words, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Revelation 4.8, the angels, the saints are all rejoicing, and the tune in heaven is this tune, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You see, God is a holy God. And the only way that people can be holy, righteous, is to be born again and then proceed into a life of sanctification, being separated from sin and separated unto God. Now, I want to make a statement that I hope you will hear and remember. Those who do not read the Bible have very few convictions. Those who do not read the Bible have very few convictions. What is the problem of our society today? It is a problem of ignorance, total ignorance. God said centuries ago, be ye holy, for I am holy. Without Holiness, no man shall see God. Without being separated unto God, it is impossible to see God. And what do we spend our time with? Long discussions as to whether homosexuals can be Christians and still practice their lifestyle. 
we spend our time trying to decide whether alcoholics and murderers and all of the rest can enter into the kingdom of God. My brother, older brother, who is in radio and television, works often late into the day, and he sometimes watches the Donahue program, and when he sees a good program, he records it and sends me the tape because he knows I'll never see it. And I got a tape this week from him, and it was titled Senior Citizens in Homosexuality. Donahue gave the date. And I got a little bit sick at the pit of my stomach listening to that tape. Because Donahue said to those who were questioning from the audience, now aren't they nice people? As if that's the criteria for the way we live, just being nice people. Sure, nice people are all over the world, but they're lost people. Without Holiness, no man shall see the Lord. It's impossible. Homosexuals are loved by God. They're loved by the church. They are murderers and alcoholics and all the rest. They're all loved by God. They're loved by the church, but the sin is hated by God. And in his word, he says, if you hang on to the sin, you cannot have me. The world needs to know that. It's not just enough to say, I'm born again. That may be just a statement that has no foundation to it. There must be a life sanctified by God's Holy Spirit. The Bible's resplendent with that message. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4.15, that we may grow up into him in all things. That's God's desire, that we might grow in him. How foolish to sit around arguing over these things that the Bible so clearly speaks about. It's not how close to the world can I be and still make heaven my home. It's how close can I get to Jesus and how far away from the world that he might be seen in me. That's the making of a man. As I listened to that tape, I couldn't help but feel, oh, if I could just say to them one thing. Yes, you may appear to be fine people on the outside, but without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And I say that to you from a pastor's heart. Without holiness, we shall not see the Lord. The Lord wants us to grow up, not to fall into the ruts and the traps of an immoral society. If you're wasting your time watching the deer hunter and listening to the pollution of the television screen or the movie screen today, I say to you what God said to Israel, 
Be ye holy, for I am holy. Grow up in God. This world will never be reached until the church grows up in God. Rise up, O church of God. Now, there are two aspects to sanctification. One of them is what we call instantaneous. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. All sin. God doesn't categorize it. All sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all sin. Now, that's instantaneous. The moment you humble yourself and say, Jesus, wash me, make me clean, you're instantaneously set apart, sanctified through the blood of Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, <clears throat> I sat in a presbyter's meeting serving as the committee to interview for ministerial license. A young lady came before us who had been a lesbian for 16 years. And she said to us, the moment I said, Jesus Christ, come into my life, save me from my sins, she said, I knew, I knew that I was a child of God. I was instantaneously set apart by God. She was marvelously delivered from her 16 years of waywardness, and now she feels the call of God to minister to this society that is so diverted from truth. As I looked at her and looked at her face and saw the joy and felt the thrill of her experience, all that I believe was underscored again. Jesus Christ can do it for anybody, and he can do it that quick. All we have to do is ask him and believe him. That's all it takes. He that is in Christ is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. Instantaneously forgiven and ready for the kingdom. But we know the next day after that instantaneous sanctification, the devil isn't necessarily off our back. He will come around and make us feel worse than we did before. Throwing accusations at us. You're not really different. You haven't changed. That's why you need the second word in sanctification, and it's the word progressive. Because the Bible teaches us a progressive sanctification as well as an instantaneous sanctification. Philippians 1.6, for example, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, or will perfect it. 
Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 31 said it so well, I die daily. That's progressive. Every day he laid himself on the altar of God. In Philippians 3.14, Paul said, I press toward the mark. It's progressive. In 2 Timothy 4.7, he said, I have fought. You know anything about that, folks? I have fought a good fight. It's not easy. It's not just today saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life, and then you go on your way and say, hallelujah, everything is rosy, everything is solved, I'll never have a problem, a conflict in my spiritual life again. You better not believe that or you're going to be torpedoed by Monday evening. I have fought a good fight and you're going to have to fight every inch of the way. You're going to have to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life because it's progressive. Now let me try to very quickly outline what the Bible teaches us are the three areas that we struggle with. They are recorded in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, those three things, all that are in the world. Elihu in Job 34 was reminding Job of the importance of coming clean with God. He said, it is meet to say unto God. It is fitting to say unto God. Why is it fitting to say unto God, I will not offend anymore? It is because of what we face that makes it so fitting. The lust of the flesh, desire for sinful habits, pleasure fleshly desires, unrighteousness, sexual lust, and homosexuality and lesbianism and all other sexual misconduct fits under the lust of the flesh. Gluttony fits there too. Weird trips all gratify the flesh. And the Bible says you must guard against the lust of the flesh. Then he said the lust of the eyes. Looking at or desiring things seen through the eye gate. Matthew 5.28 records the words of Jesus on this very theme when he said, Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, this is the passage that got the Pope into such trouble recently. When he made the statement that it was possible for a man to lust after his own wife. Well, I can't quite understand that, and I don't know where that came from. But what he is saying is that anybody, I mean anybody, will be attacked through the lust of the eyes. That through the eye gate, there will come covetousness, either for another man's wife, another man's house, another man's car, another man's job, another man's this or another man's that. Through the eye gate, he will covet it, and then he will envy, and he will get jealous. 
and he will be willing to murder because it all came through the lust of the eye. Do you remember what Jesus said? If your hand offend you, cut it off. If your eye offend you, pluck it out. Strong language. But he was saying, it's better for you to enter into the kingdom without a hand or without an eye than to go into eternity without salvation, having been ruined by the lust of the eye. Then he said the pride of life, riches, fame, possessions, popularity, position. Instead of putting our service for Christ in first place, our main desire is to be something in this life. And we give our time and energy and our money to be something rather than to give our life in service to Jesus Christ. The making of a man is salvation through the blood of Christ, realizing there's instantaneous sanctification, but also realizing that we must progressively become like Jesus was in his earthly life who conquered all three of these. When he went into the wilderness, he was hungry, the lust of the flesh. And he refused to eat. He refused to turn the stones into bread because he said to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone. He conquered the devil in the lust of the flesh. And then the devil set him on a pinnacle of the temple, pride of life. You can have all of this if you'll just fall down and worship me. Thou shalt serve the Lord thy God and him only. And then in the lust of the eye, the devil showed him the kingdoms of the world. And Satan is the god of this world, so he could offer them to Jesus. But he said, get thee behind me, Satan. Adam and Eve faced the same battle in Genesis. They saw the tree was good, lust of the eye. It was a tree to be desired, lust of the flesh. The devil said, you shall be as gods. Pride of life. You see, those are the three areas that he attacks any of us. That's why it is so important to be able to say, as Paul said, I die daily. I press toward the mark. I have fought a good fight. You'll never get in the kingdom without some scars without some bruises, without standing up on your own two feet, your head high, your chest out, and saying, devil, go ahead and give it to me, but in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, I defy you today. I stand in the power of the resurrected Christ. That's the only way any of us are ever going to make it. That's the place the church is in today, where we have to decide, church, we're not going to play games. We're not going to play church. We're not going to just show up once in a while and smile and say, aren't I nice? We have to come to the making of a man which says, I am going to do it by his rules, serve by his rules, live according to his life. That's the making of a man. And that's what Job was ministered to by Elihu. When he said, Job, it is me to say unto God, I will not offend anymore. I'm going to do it his way. 
1 Corinthians 6.11 sums it up. You are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You see, the church loves the whole world. It does not single out certain lifestyles and say, you're okay and you're not. The church loves the world, but the church says to the world, you've got to abide by the rules. You've got to come and instantaneously know that Jesus has received you into his family and then progressively, as you move through life, become more like him and present yourself a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him. Now the third thing and last is that this making of a man begins with conversion, processes through sanctification, and ends up in evangelization. And this is the part that fits this week so very well. Jesus gave special place in end-time signs to world evangelization. He foretold many events, but he placed this sign immediately prior to the end of the age. Here it is in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then will the end come. We hear a lot about wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, pestilences, and so on, but here is the end time sign. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then shall the end come. You say, why do we have missions convention? Because of Matthew 24, 14. There has been the sign of fear in our generation, men's hearts failing them for fear. There has been the sign of power, Acts 1, 8, ye shall receive power, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And we thank God for that sign of power, the outpouring or the endowment of the Holy Spirit. But the last great miracle is that of getting this gospel into the whole world. Jesus, no other name. That's the last great sign. And the church must give itself to that sign. The making of a man is to come to Christ, to progressively become more like Christ, and then his end desire is to win the world to Christ. I will not offend anymore. I will not be sitting on the sidelines looking on. I will not take that faith promise card and throw it in the wastebasket and say, that's for somebody else, not for me. It's for every one of us in this building today. I will not offend God anymore. I will play by his rules. Making of a man is to have him meet Jesus Christ. He proceeds through sanctification, then into a life of fruitful living, of bearing fruit for the master. John 15, 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. There's the making of a man. Church, I come to you with a burdened heart this morning. How much fruit is there in your life? Have you just been kind of hanging on by your fingertips? Tasting the things of this world? Oh, you come to God when the chips are down. You get kind of serious when things get going a little rough. 
need these words from Job 34, 31 to sink into our hearts. I will not offend anymore. The reason I have been born is to live for him who died for me. That's what God wants the church to come to in this generation. And as I see it, it's the only way that we're ever going to win the world and bring in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we see how a man is truly made, he sees self-worth. He comes to Christ and knows that he is forgiven of all of his sins. He has something to offer. He loves his neighbor. He is set apart. And he becomes increasingly more like his God because he's reading his word. He's continuing instant in prayer. And he's opening his mind and his spirit to the vision that God has for this generation. Don't let it be clouded by this world. Let's open up this day and through this week and let the Lord of the harvest communicate what it means to be made in the image of God. I close with a story from out of 2 Kings chapter 3. It's a unique story. There were three kings, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, who were involved in this account in 2 Kings 3. There was no water for the host, verse 9 says, and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. You see, the Moabites wanted to destroy and to plunder and to devour, just like the devil wants to plunder and to destroy and to devour and get a sidetrack on all these other things. But the king said, is there not a prophet that we can inquire from? And Elisha was found. And Elisha asked for the minstrel to play, and as he played, the Spirit of God moved upon his heart. And Elisha said, make this valley full of ditches. Now, this is strange strategy for war. Take your men in the valley and dig ditches. So they did. They dug ditches in the valley. And the Lord said, you will not see wind, neither will you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water that you may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And then verse 18 says, this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. This is no problem for the Lord to provide you water and to defeat the Moabites at the same time. So they dug their ditches. The valley was filled with ditches, and they sat back to wait. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered that, behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Now, there was one problem, Matt, right there. The country was filled with water. All the ditches were full of water in the valley. Now, what's the other part? Beautiful. The Moabites got up in the morning, and they're going to go out and take all of the armies of Israel, of Judah, and of Edom. They're just going to wipe them out. They have no water for them or for their beasts. No problem. We'll just march down in and just slaughter them in the morning. So they got up intending to do this, and they looked into the valley, and the sun 
shone on the water that was filling the ditches, and all of the Moabites said, Oh, my goodness! Those three armies of Israel, Edom and Judah, have risen up and they've slain each other, and the valley's filled with blood. Look at all the blood. So they sauntered down into the valley unassumingly, thinking that all of the armies were slain and it was blood in the valley, and out from every bush and every tree sprang the Edomites and the Israelites and the Judahites, and they slew the armies of Moab, and they chased them into their cities and plundered their cities, and the Lord gave them a great victory that day. God's ways are not our ways. When God says dig ditches, you better dig some ditches. He did not say go out and sharpen your swords. He did not go out and say find a Gatling gun somewhere, you're going to be in for a battle. He said go down and dig the ditches. And I can hear them complaining as they dig the ditches. They dig, they dig all day. They dig, 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 dig. What are we digging for? You have to obey God. And when you do it God's way, you get God's results. That's the point. You get God's results. And the whole army of the enemy was defeated. And God's people gained the victory. The making of a man to come to know Christ, to progress in spiritual life until he sees the world is lost and in need of a Savior and he can weep over it and he can give his money to save it and he can go if God says go as he will be saying to some of you. That's the making of a man. I will not offend anymore. I will rise up and say, God, I'll be yours. I'll do it your way. I'll be that sacrifice that you asked me to be. That's the only way you're ever happy and ever fulfilled. Be made in the image of God. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please? Nobody moving for a few moments as we humbly consider this word from the Lord. Heavenly Father, today we bow ourselves before you, needing your touch so much. Come to us today in the power of your Holy Spirit. Communicate life to us and help us to respond to the great challenge of this generation. May this congregation rise up like it has never risen before to say we're going to be the men and women, the young people God intends us to be. Speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Before I say amen, are there those of you in church this morning who need to take the first step to be born again, to be converted? The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a man in right standing with God avails much. I'd like to pray for you. Come into the kingdom of God. He loves you, and there's victory over anything that's in your life. Would you raise your hand and say by that hand, Pastor, I do want Jesus in my life today. I raise my hand unashamedly. Pray for me. Here's my hand. Would you raise it right now, wherever you sit? God bless you over here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you back through here. God bless you. Several hands back over there. Thank you. God bless you. Are there others? I come to Jesus. I come to Jesus. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you back over there. Thank you. 
Oh, would you come and meet me here at the front? Let's all stand up and ask these who have raised their hands and others to come and meet us here at the front. So beautiful to see people reaching out to Jesus, asking Jesus to be Lord and Master of life. Long ago, I took a step to Jesus, and I've never been sorry. Will you take one toward him? Just come on down and stand here in the front and say, I'm receiving Jesus into my life.